Amen. Amen. What a great time to be in the presence of the Lord, to be with you and to be with all of God's people. It's exciting times, even though we're in the most challenging of times. We're in the greatest hour. We're in the moment that you and I are living out. And we're going to live out even more of everything that all of those before us were praying for and we're looking for and we're expecting. You and I are living that out. So in the book of Joshua chapter 20, where did I tell you to go? Chapter 21. I want us to go to verse 43. It says, So the Lord gave to Israel all the land of which he had sworn to give their fathers. And they took possession of it and dwell in and dwell in it. The Lord gave them rest all around, according to all that he had sworn to their fathers. And not a man of all their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all of their enemies into their hand. Not a word. Let's read this. Together, this last verse, could we? Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. How much came to pass? All of it. Not one bit, not one word, not one jot, not one tittle of anything. And that those little statements that I just made, that really, I think if I understand right, is dealing with the Hebrew, with the Hebrew alphabet. They, all, the reality is not one good thing or not one thing that God spoke to the children of Israel failed to come to pass. All came to pass. He's a promise keeper this morning. Thank you, Miss of whatever your name is. Thank you. What is your Tanya? Thank you. All came to pass. Now I want you to go to chapter 23 and 24. We're just going to skim through them just for a moment. Same chapter, same book. Now, most, now Joshua has brought the people of God to, to Shechem. Might be pronounced Shechem, however you want to say it. And he's getting ready. His, his time is up. He knows it. I've accomplished my assignment. And his day is coming to an end and he gives instructions to all of Israel. His assignment was according to Joshua chapter 1. He said, you're going to rise up and you're going to lead this people the rest of the way into the promise and you're going to divide out for the inheritance to the people of God that which I had or that which I have promised them. And so he's there. It's been handed out. And he's giving last-minute instructions before he exits the planet. And he begins to talk to them about all the great things that God had done. When he meets with them, I've made mention of, of, of Shechem or Shechem, however you want to pronounce it. This was the place between Mount Ebal and Mount Gerasim. How many knows what that is? Or how many remembers? We've talked about that, what that is. That was the place that God made a covenant with Israel. It was a place that God said to his people after they come up out of Egypt. You're going to be my people and I'm going to be your God. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to see that everything that you have need of is going to be there. My, your enemies are now going to become my enemies. And so God brings them back in a sense, or Joshua does, to that place that covenant was made with God and is reminding them now that everything that God had promised had surely come to pass. As we go into this, may I declare unto you something that we are possibly, and I believe we're there, that we are in the third great awakening upon the nation. And could I not use this passage of Scripture to tell you what that's going to look like for just a moment? First of all, the first great awakening, according, just, just follow me, okay, just for a minute, hang with me. 
The first one would have been with Moses. And Moses was bringing deliverance to the people of God, bringing them out of bondage and out of, out of, out of Egyptian slavery. The second great awakening, I could use it like this, was the time between uh, Egypt and the land of promise. We would call it the wilderness, but it really was a place of renewal. It was a place where God was redeeming and restoring them and reminding the people of God who they really were. And now they're in the third. Now Joshua is completed. Now they're in the place of promise. And maybe the place of promise or really is, it's the place of inheritance. That everything that God has promised is now been put in our hands. That's inheritance. The only way to get an inheritance is somebody dies and passes to the other side and everything that has been promised now has been left to the family. May I declare to you today that we are possibly in that place. Uh, we are, I believe it, of inheritance. We're in the third great awakening and this is not about a meeting, but it is about a life. It is about a lifestyle and a culture of which you and I will live out in these days to come. Follow with me for a few moments. Joshua takes them through and he begins to tell them. He reminds the two tribes and a half that said, we want to be over here. And, and, the only, and Joshua told them, the only way you're going to be able to go there and be at peace and rest is that you fight for your brothers until they get their place of inheritance. And then we will release you to go to that place. You can dwell in tents, but you can be at peace. And so they went back according to the word of the Lord. Now in chapter 24, Joshua starts out with something like this. Just let me highlight a couple of those verses. He gathered all the tribes of Israel together. He called for their heads, for their judges, their officers. And they presented themselves before God, verse 1. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers, including Terah, this is Abraham's father, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river and I led them throughout all the land of Cana and I multiplied his descendants and I gave him Isaac. And to Isaac I gave Jacob, and to Jacob Esau, and I gave the mountains of Seir to possess. But Jacob and the children went down to Egypt, and I went down I, and I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to what I did among them. Afterwards, I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to, to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued after your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And they cried out to the Lord, and he put a darkness between the Egyptians, brought the sea upon them, and covered them up. And, their, and, and your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. Then you dwelt in the wilderness for a long time. And I brought you out of the land of the Amorite who dwelt on the other side of Jordan. You remember when they went in, there were the Amorites in the wilderness came against the people of God, tried to hinder their progression. Not only did they try to stop their progression, but the Amorites were also a part of that very tall group of people that Israel was always seeing. There are giants in the land. There are great, there are great nations there. But he said, I brought you in the land of the Amorites who dwelt on the other side. They fought with you, but I gave them into your hand that your might might possess the land, and I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, rose to make war against Israel. And he sent for Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Therefore, he continued to bless you. So I delivered you out of his hand. Then you went over Jordan, and you came to Jericho. And the men of Jericho fought you. 
The Amorite, the Perizzite, all those ites fought against you. But I delivered them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out from before you. Also two kings of the Amorites, but not with your sword or with your bow. But I have given you a land for which you did not labor, and cities which you did not build. And you dwell in them, and you eat of vineyards and olive groves which you did plant. Now therefore fear the Lord. Serve Him with sincerity and truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. Everybody say, serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose you this day. Whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of their Amorites in whose land you dwell. But Joshua said, but it's for me and my house. We're going to serve the Lord. I'm going to stop right there from reading and dig right in because I believe this is the moment of time that we're at in the prophetic sphere of God. That God is bringing His church, not the world, but He's dealing with His church. Because the Bible said judgment begins in the house of the Lord. And I believe that God is bringing His church to a spot to say to us, Who are we going to serve? Are we going to serve the Lord? Are we going to serve the idols of this land? Are we going to be totally dedicated, sold out, blood bought? I mean, Holy Ghost field all the way. I'm totally committed. You can't pull it out of me. You can't take me away from it. I am totally sold out to God. And that's how I'm going to live. I've had to look at this chapter a little bit different because I could be real religious and make it a real religious message and say to you, choose you this day whom you're going to serve. But this is far more than just a religious cliche or religious saying that we need to look at. But I believe God is saying to His church, I'm asking you to empty yourselves of the idolatry and all the things that you don't think you have that you have carried with you and you have bought into from the land. And I want you to totally set out and dedicate yourself to me. For this isn't about a church service. This is about a life that we are to live. You remember in Exodus chapter 3, the children of Israel were in Egypt, right? And been there for 400 years. 400 years of slavery in a nation that had more gods than we got fingers and toes almost. And they paraded them constantly in the face of Israel. 400 years, a number of the children of Israel, many of them, were born, listen, and raised under the images and the, and the sayings of these idols that were in the land. Although they were the people of God, they were the promised people, the chosen, that God had already had promised to Abraham that they were blessed. They were growing up in the house of Pharaoh and before all of these gods. 400 years passed. It was prophesied to Abram before they were ever born that they would go into bondage. So 400 years passes and God said, I've heard the cry of my people and now I'm come down to fulfill my word. I'm going to bring them out of bondage. And when I bring them out, they're not going to be in need and they're not going to be in want. Now that's very important for us to understand. Because the whole idea of gods and the whole idea of of idols, idols are nothing more than images of so-called gods that men somehow have served. If you really look up a definition of what an idol is, it gives a couple of definitions like this. It speaks of iniquity. It speaks of wickedness. It speaks of evilness. Those are just a few things that go along with, that goes along with idols. 
So these people have grown up in the face of these idols. But yet on the inside of them, they're the people of God. So God said, I've come to finally fulfill my word. I'm getting there. It's just taking me a moment to get there. Hang on. He gets them out. But how does he get them out? He got them out because of he dealt with their need. I'm going to bring you out of slavery. And I'm going to bring you into a land that flows with milk and honey. He didn't necessarily come to say, hey, I want you guys to know who I really am. I'm Jehovah. I'm going to be your God. No, the first thing that he told him, he said, you go tell him, Moses, that I, Jehovah, the I am, am bringing them out. But I'm going to bring them into a land. The first thing he had to convince them of, this place is good. Because where they weren't, wasn't. I'm going to bring you into a land that's good and into a land that's large and into a land that's overflowing with milk and honey. You see, when he's talking about it being large, there was more than enough. And the idea of milk and honey is the idea that it is going to sustain them and take care of the areas of their life. You see, idols and idolatry and all of that stuff get their force behind the idea that they are the ones that meet your needs. Because we're a need-driven people. Okay? Matter of fact, let me just share with you like this. Every one of us in this room has needs. And I've come to find out this. Everybody needs something. Oh, come on. Every one of us need something. You were created with a need. I want to show you this. Hang on. You were created with a need. Every one of us in this room. Matter of fact, you got three needs. Three very basic needs. First of all, you were created to need a a God. You were created to need somebody to guide you. Somebody to instruct you. Somebody to show you the way. Somebody to empower you and let you know who you really are. That's our relationship with the Father. The second need that you have, you have need, you have need of of others. None of us can do this life by ourselves. Not a one of us. I have need of you. You have need of me. When God looked at Abe or Adam, after Adam had, had, you know, had named all the animals, God gave him that privilege. Adam said something. God, I got a problem here. Uh, there's only me. There's only you. Or there's one of me that's in this flesh right now. God is a spirit, and I'm in my flesh, and he sees, I believe, God purely. But the idea is, he said, I see all these animals paired up, but there's only one of me. And God speaks to Adam and said, it's not good that man be alone. And actually, what God was saying is, it's not good that God be alone. That's why God created man. To be in relationship with him of all creation. He was made in the image and likeness of God. So he could relate to the Father. He could relate to his creator. So God creates this beautiful woman. You know that part. But then there was a third need of man. Man had need. I'm going to say it like this. We have need of the earth. We have need of food. We have need of that to take care of us, to provide for us so that we can be strong and healthy. I want you to think about this for a moment. The relationship with the Father deals with our spirit. The relationship with one another deals with our soulish man. The relationship with the earth deals with our body. And if those things aren't in order and out of whack, then we've really got some problems, Houston. And isn't it interesting that the first thing that the serpent came with wasn't to deceive her of who they were. He came to meet the need she had. Have you considered the tree that's in the midst of the garden that it's good for food? But this food is different. He was pointing out the food. He was pointing out. He was pointing out the lushness of the fruit. Are y'all with me okay? Hang on. This will make sense, I hope. 
So as they're going through this, he deceives her. The moment he deceived her with her need, he deceived her in her identity. And the moment he deceived her with her identity, he deceived her with the relationship of the one that created them. So the whole need of everything and why idols and idolatry and all of these things get in our way and come up is because we're all looking for someone or something to meet a need in our life. And God is saying to His people, I've already taken care of everything you have need of, but you've got to trust me and you've got to rid yourself of all these things that the world has put their trust in to meet the the very need of their life. Every one of us have a, have a need. You see, when you break that relationship with Father, the first things that happens, we come rebellious. The moment that we break the relationship with one another, we become self-centered. And the moment that I break myself, listen, I break myself loose from the righteous relationship with what God intended with the earth. That's why the earth is groaning for the sons of God to get back in place. This is what happens. It causes me, listen, it causes me to become lazy and it causes me to be in that place of entitlement everybody owes it to me I'm too lazy to put my hands to to work and therefore I'm totally out of kelter I hope that you can see that you see this kingdom thing that we're all talking about we have to we have to keep in mind this is a lifestyle you know when Jesus came on the scene The first thing that he said, he began to preach the gospel of the kingdom. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What's he preaching? Most of us think that he was preaching salvation. No, he was preaching to them, I've come to establish a way of living that will take care of everything that you have need of if you will put your confidence and trust in me and follow me. I guess if I could entitle this message anything this morning, I would ask this, who are you going to follow? Because we're there in church, you and I are going to have to make up our mind. Am I going to live by the principles of this world? Am I going to live by the principles of the kingdom of heaven? See, we're wanting heaven to manifest, but I want to do it in the world system. And God says it's time to rid yourselves of the world system. Put your confidence in your hope in me and trust me and watch and see what I'll do for your life. So he says to Joshua and his people, I'm giving you a land. When he said that he was going to give them a land that flows with milk and honey, I'm confident everybody was looking for a land. I would be looking for a land. But the more I look into this thing, I believe he was saying, I've got a life that you're going to live. Because the kingdom is not here and there, I believe Paul said, or Jesus said that I believe. It's not here nor there because the kingdom of God is in you. So here's the reality. It doesn't matter where you live, where you go. If you are a kingdom kingdom purpose, then that life of the kingdom will manifest in you. Whether you're in America or whether you're in Africa, whether you're in Pakistan, whether you're in India, wherever you go, no matter the nationality or the color of your skin, there is nobody can stand before you when the kingdom of heaven is manifest. Manifesting in your life. But we're convinced that it can't. But this was a life lived. Everybody say it's a life lived. It was a culture that we've got to decide. Am I going to live by by God or am I going to live by the things of this world? I was in a place yesterday. I was at Burger King. Yesterday meeting with somebody. Having a coffee. And when I got to the cashier, I got to them, they brought my, brought my coffee to me or whatever I had. And they said, this is the words they said to me, you, you rule. I thought, really? Okay. So then the manager comes out, which I know, which happens to be Miss D here at the church. And Miss D comes out and she says, you rule. I'm supposed to tell you that because we at Burger King are setting a new culture. 
It's not just a slogan. This is what they're saying. It's all about you. They're trying to create a culture within their employees. They're trying to create a culture to those that serve when you go in that they're going to make you feel like royalty. On all the tables, they had those paper crowns they give to all the kids. It's a culture. It's how we live. It's why we do what we do at Burger King. Matter of fact, she said something interesting to me. She said they've done a, a study of, of Chick-fil-A where most of you go. One of the slogans of Chick-fil-A is this. When you say thank you, they'll speak back to you. It's our pleasure. It's our pleasure. She said it took them 10 years to get that culture established within that business. Why? Because most people in our present world never say you're welcome. Most people never say thank you. Most people seem to be mean and harsh and whatever in the culture of this world. But, but, but Chick-fil-A decided, wait a minute. We want you, our customer, to be valued. And we want those that serve you to serve you like you are important. So when you come in, they're not serving out of grudgery. They're not living this thing out of, i got to do my job. But it's my pleasure to be here. We don't create the right culture as the kingdom of God people or kingdom people. Then we'll find ourselves in a war going backwards instead of going forward. Instead of living in the houses that God intended for us to live in. We'll be back in the tents and we'll go backwards. Because we see this thing as an obligation. And not as the life I live. That I'm His and He's mine. I'm in covenant with Him. He's going to take care of me in every area of my life. She said, get rid of the idols and the images. What's strange to me, when I read this chapter, he's not talking to the world of people that just came out. They have been out for years, out of, from under this bondage, and they're carrying it. They're carrying images. They're carrying these idols with them. And they bring them right into the very promises of God. And I believe Joshua sees something that they don't see. God, because of your obedience, He gave you victory and authority over them. But if you don't deal with them, even though it's the promise of God, and you're letting these things rule your heart and life, everything that God has promised will come to an end. Go back and read it. Why did, why, did, why did Solomon, on the day he's dedicating the temple, say this? Lord, if we sin, if we sin against you, that there be no rain. If we repent, will you restore us? If we repent, will you turn? But God went on to say with the blessing, if you'll read through there, I will, I will, I will return. I will heal my people's land because that is the will of God. But if my people go after the gods of this world, God said, I'll pull my hand back and I'll let this world overtake you. See, I believe we're in crucial moments right now. I believe we're happening to make decisions based upon what we stand for and what we believe, even in the life. Remember, this is a life. I'm not intending this to be political, but I guess I'll take it there for a moment because in two weeks we're going to have midterm elections in our nation. And you and I are going to have to make some drastic decisions. What are we going to stand for? Am I going to believe God or am I going to believe a system that says, I want to take care of you? To my young people in this room,
to every person in this room. The politicians know how to work on every one of us because they always come. I know how to meet your need. I know what you have need of. We know how to take care of it, especially our young people. Under, under present, listen, under present administration, you can get mad at me at once. Why do you think they want to forgive you of all your college debt? Because if they can buy you off, if they can convince you that's what they're going to do, they're going to buy you off. And you're going to become their slave. Why do you think just a few weeks ago when marijuana is an all-time issue in our nation, did the present administration decide we're going to forgive all these petty little, you know, offenders of, uh, of their issue with, with marijuana? Well, who wouldn't get on board with something like that, especially if that's something you crave? Y'all looking at me really strange right now. But the sad note is the same thing with the church. I'll put more money into your account. I'll put more money into your account, young and old. And if I can put it into your account, because what I'm going to do, I'm going to make you dependent upon me. And what we don't realize, we're buying into the lie of the serpent, the deception of the serpent that he came along. I'm going to meet your need because every one of us have a need. We want more. And if I can put more in you, then I've got you and we don't realize that we're coming. We're playing the game and somewhere I'm going to have to stand up. You mean it's wrong if I take it? No, that's not what I'm saying. But you better look at the platform. You better look at what's behind it. You better take some serious thought about who you're going into that pole and the system that you're standing for. I think that's why Joshua said, it's for me and my house. I'm going to choose to serve the Lord. I'm going to choose, and the word serve there means to be a bondservant. I am, I am tying myself to him freely. I'm going to follow him because I believe at the end of the day, he's going to take care of me. See, in every one of those three areas that I just talked to you about, of those needs, of this flesh that we have need of, you see three major encounters that God deals with idolatry in the Scripture. Let's look at this and then I'll land the jet. First one is in Exodus. God has brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. They come to Sinai. Moses has done wonders in front of them. And the moment that Moses is on the mountain, because God said, Moses, come up. And he took Joshua and he took Aaron and he went up to the top of the mountain. And, Mount, and Joshua was no longer seen. And he's in the top of the mountain. And the longer he's up there, I believe he was up there for 40 days, if I'm correct. Now all of a sudden, the people that have been following, because remember, the only, one of the reasons they're following Moses is, again, because they saw the wonders. They saw the power that he did. They're following him out of, and really they see him almost as an idol. And yet he's leading them by the hand of God. And they come, and this is what they said to Aaron. It was Joshua, and, it was Joshua and uh, Aaron, Joshua and Moses on the mountain. Aaron stayed down below. Now get it. And while they're down, they come to Aaron and says, "For as this Moses, we don't know where he's at. Will you make us something that we can follow?" Make us something that we can follow. And the scripture said, he said, bring me, your, bring me your jewels. And they built a golden calf. You know that story. A calf. A cow, really. An ox. I don't think it was some little thing. But it was something that would intend, that would lead them. Give me somebody that can lead me. What is leading you today? Who's leading you? Who are you following? I listened to a few moments. Some of you were there to hear it with me. Of a message of, of Klaus Schwab. He's the founder of the World Economic Forum. That literally wants to create an environment to make us a one world government. And to take everything that you have. 
to take everything that you've labored for and give it away to where all, as they would say, on the same plane. And this is their, their words, his words. You will be happier if you have nothing. And I listen to this statement says like this. This is the most important time for the young people of our age. I want them to pay attention. Because he deals with everything that is on their radar. Let's talk about climate control. Let's talk about immigration. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about that. I heard somebody say the other day. Well, to their, a young man said to his father, Well, Dad, even the Democratic Party helps people. Matter of fact, even Jesus made a statement. He said, everybody helps people. But he said, you're not everybody because we go to the furthest extent and they just go to one level. I'm paraphrasing as you know. Everybody's looking for somebody to lead them. My question for you, who's leading you? What are they saying? There's only one God. And he said this, I'm the Lord and there is no other. That calf, in a sense, they needed guidance. Then there's another time. Did you ever hear of a young man by the name of Solomon? A wise young man. That was the reign on the, on the, on the, of, of the throne of his father David. Never thought about Solomon getting involved with idols. Really? I didn't either. You remember Solomon was just a young man when he took the throne. Think about this for a moment. He didn't ask for wealth. He didn't ask for fame. He just said, Lord, I want your blessing that I can know how to lead and how to take care of this people you gave me. And God says to Solomon, because you didn't ask for fame, you didn't ask for wealth, you didn't ask for all this stuff. He said, I'm going to give it all to you. I'm going to give you wisdom beyond your age. I'm going to give you more wealth than you know. And I'm going to give you more fame till you're known all over the world. That's why the queen of Sheba came. A, a, a queen of the world came and said, I've heard about you. Do you remember that story? That there were two women in the land. Correct me if I'm wrong with the story. But I think I'm right. That one had a child or both of them had a child and one dies. And while she slept, one took the child that didn't belong to her. And when they woke, they realized, wait a minute, you got my child? No, that's my baby. So what did they do? They go before Solomon. So Solomon in his great wisdom said, bring me a sword. He's getting ready in their minds, to split that baby in half. Okay, I'll give you part and you part. Both of you will be happy. He never was going to drop that sword on that baby. But he had the wisdom of God to know that that mama would say, I'll give him away before I let you take his life. And Solomon knew when he picked up that sword and got ready to drop it that the real mama said, No, I'll let her have him. Solomon realized who the real mother and the real love was at. And he said, take your baby and go your way. Solomon operated in such a way meant that when the queen of Sheba came, she said, I've heard about your kingdom. I've watched how you ascend before the Lord. I see how your people serve. I see their attire, how they're dressed. I see how they eat. She said, I'm breathless. I'm, I'm speechless. Because the half has not been told. Think about this for a moment. First Kings chapter 11. I've got to do this so I don't have to read every verse. The Bible said that Solomon had found many strange loves. He loved the women. And they weren't the women of the household of faith. And he began to look at the ladies 
of the Moabites and all those other ites that were in the land. And he took them to his heart. First Kings chapter 11, you can read it. And this is what the Bible said Solomon did. That over time, they turned his heart from following God. See, God knows you can't live in both worlds. You're going to have to make up your mind who you are and where you are and who you're going to serve because you can't play the game. You will lose. He knew that. And the Bible said over time that they turned the heart of Solomon from following the Lord. And he raised up altars after their gods. And of all the idols and the gods he raised up, he raised an altar to Molech. Solomon, the one who spared a child while ago, is now become a party to offering the babies of the kingdom to Molech. Go read it. Go read it. It's in the book. All because he kept them close instead of saying no and moving those things out of the way. Now he's as guilty as everyone else. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Solomon. Who would have ever thought? I would have never dreamed that. At one moment, Danny, he's sparing a child. Now he's offering And whether he did it himself, he opened up a way because the offering that Moloch would would the offering that Moloch would accept would be the firstborn of, of, of the families. Bring me your male children. Bring those babies, and they would throw them into that. His belly was like a fire pit, and they would throw that baby into that pit as a sacrifice unto that God. Never thought that would happen, right? Here's the third one. Remember when Elijah went to the people of God? Or let me back up to Solomon just a moment. The need for Solomon, he had everything. Can you imagine having everything? Not, you know, wouldn't it be nice to be able to go today and you want a new house and you just go out and you don't have to worry about what it costs. You don't have to worry about the interest rate. You don't have to worry about nothing. Or to go buy groceries or whatever. He had everything. But yet the enemy tempted him. If you just take me, you haven't had me. I'll give you all of this. And it led him into a path of disobedience towards the Lord. Now let's go to the third one. Elijah is sent by God to the house of Ahab. Go and tell Ahab it isn't going to rain. It wasn't an issue with Ahab in a sense. It was an issue with the God of Ahab that Ahab had turned to begin to serve because now he is serving Baal. And Baal was the God of fertility. He was the God of rain and the sun and And the people believed if we worship Him, then our land will produce and everything will be well. Why do you think God turned the water off? Because that's what they believed. That this is Baal doing this. So God shuts the water off. And for three years, things dry up. And God brings an encounter of His people back to the altar of God. And this is what God is saying. He said to Elijah, or Elijah said to Ahab, he said, how long to the people are you going to be caught between two opinions? To know who is God. To know who is God and who isn't. How long are you going to be caught there? Let's let the God that answers by fire. You know the story. I don't have to tell you the rest of it. God came and he consumed the altar And Elijah rose up and he slew all the prophets of Baal. This was a whole issue. Are we going to trust God? Are we going to trust the systems of our world? It's a challenge being laid before the kingdom. I believe before the body of Christ. How are we going to live? 
Are we going to live after God? Then I've got to move this stuff out. I don't even realize I have it there. That just fascinated. If you read on, I don't have time to go read through it. But Joshua said, get rid of all the altars. Get rid of all the images of Baal. Why do I got to get rid of those images? Because it will distort your image of God. If you've got those images in front of you, it's going to distort the images of who the one true God is and who will really provide and take care of you. Told you I was done. I lied. I'll repent. I'm at the altar. This is the last thing. Jesus comes on the scene. I've read this a million times, but I'm going to look at it in a total different light to you right now. Jesus is baptized and the Father speaks and said, This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And the next thing you know, He's thrust into the wilderness where He's fasting for 40 days and 40 nights and He's tempted of the devil and He's hungry. And the reality is, He can't go much further. His body is going to start breaking down now. He is going to have to eat. And I've always looked at this temptation as a temptation of identity. And may I tell you that I believe differently. Not that it isn't, but I'm looking at it differently. But this is what the enemy said. If you're the Son of God, then command these stones to be made bread. You know what the enemy was saying to him? Isn't your father going to take care of you? Is he going to let you starve out here? Is he going to let you wither away? Now Jesus knew he was the son of God. Now he's questioning the relationship of him and his father. Jesus said this, if we know how to give good things to our children, how much more shall the heavenly father give good things to them? that ask you know what happens more times than one you know why we get discouraged in church with church with the promises think about this for a moment because you begin to question is the father going to do what he said he would do is this one that I serve really going to fail me is he going to take care of me Man, the enemy knows how to come because it's really not about your identity. It's about your relationship with the Father because now if he can question that, he can, well, maybe I wasn't after all. So he says, is he going to fail you with bread? The second one was this. They took him to the temple and said, hey, why don't you jump off? Don't you know that he'll give his angels charge over you? Jesus responded to him every time it is written. And again, it's a relationship issue with the Father. You mean the Father's going to let me hit? The Father's going to let me pound the ground? You mean the Father is going to let me down? The one that I call my God? He's questioning. He's causing me to question my relationship. The third one, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. When he already had all the kingdoms of the world. It was already promised to him. They're our, they were his. They're ours. And again, it's a question the Father really don't want you to have. He's kept me here. And the enemy comes along. Some of you struggle in this room all the time. And this is, your wife. This is the lie you've bought into. This is my lot in life. This is what God intended for me. Then you don't know the one you served. And you have bought into the lie And what you've really done, you have put a false image of God up in front of you. You're really serving an idol. And you don't even realize it's there. Because the one true God that wants to provide everything is there to take care of you. Who are you going to follow? Church, this is a life lived. What if I don't feel feel anything anymore? I hear this of people all the time. Well, I don't feel. I, the church just isn't fun no more. We've maybe we've made church an idol, and God is saying, wait a minute, are you really serving me? What if it don't go my way? What if it doesn't feel that good? 
What if? What if I don't ever see another miracle? Jesus said in one place, the only reason you follow me is for the bread and cheese. But even then, he didn't turn them away. He still let them follow. But he revealed their hearts. You're just following me because I'm feeding you. He said, as for me and my house, Joshua said, I'm going to serve the Lord. And I believe we're there, church. That God is calling us to the greatest commitment that we've ever made. For the greatest move that the earth has ever seen. And we're in it right now. But what will you do? It's going to challenge us. It's going to challenge us like we've never challenged, been challenged before. It's not about my feeling. He said, I'm going to put you in houses you didn't build and drink from wells you didn't dig. And you're going to eat from vineyards you didn't plant because this is a life that you're going to live. You want to know where the miracles are? You're it. Your life is going to be so supernatural. It was to this moment, but it's going to become more supernatural. You won't have to look for a miracle. You are the miracle. And miracles will demonstrate themselves through you. I really believe that with all my heart. If I make this thing just about miracles, the enemy will set me up every time. Because even he will come with lying wonders. But if I will set this up to say, God, I'm yours. And I trust you in this moment of time. I want you to stand with me, would you? We used to sing a song, I'm not asking them to do it. Whatever they got, they can continue. We used to sing it years ago, where he leads me, I will follow. I don't know where you are today. All I know is what God put in my heart. I don't know if it rocked your world, rattled your chimes or whatever. That doesn't matter. I know I just spoke what I felt with all my heart. That the Lord is speaking to us as a church. And to us really as the body of Christ. That it's time for us to unpack the house. And make that decision. Why every head is bowed and every eye closed in this place. I believe he's talking to every one of us. See, I... I think all of us probably have something we need to lay aside. So, Pastor, are you judging me? No, I just know me. And if I know there's probably things in me that I'm probably most confident that it's probably with all of us that we need to lay aside and surrender ourselves totally to God and say, God, I choose to follow you. I choose to give myself to you and not this world system. Not the idols, not the gods of this world. I'm choosing to follow you. You're my God, my guide, my strength, my fulfillment, my source. You're my everything.